are rolling once again. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass. We are exploring faith and pursuing grace. And after an incredible comedy of errors and an insane number of technical difficulties, we're finally kicking this episode off. <laughs> Mercy sakes alive. I didn't think it would ever happen. It's it's wild. I mean, we've been sitting here for the last 20 minutes just laughing at each other and trying to get this to work. And it's it's been hilarious just the trouble that we've gone through to get this to work. But finally, everything's firing on all cylinders. It looks like we're good to go. I'm happy. Hopefully we can make it through the end of the episode without any other technical issues. But today we're going to be talking about a really important subject. It's a really important topic, and it's one that is there's no shortage of discussion that goes on. But the sh- discussion that's been going on within evangelicalism for the last, what, 50 years has not really been a helpful discussion. It hasn't been a helpful conversation. Today, we are going to be discussing the idea of creating a safe space for our brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle with same-sex attraction and homosexuality. It's kind of a heavy topic. It is one of those topics that really needs to be discussed, and it needs to be discussed in an open way. And in this episode, we're not talking as much about the theology behind homosexuality and whether it's a sin or whether it isn't or the context behind it as it was written in scripture that's a subject that we'll get into after we study it more and we and we feel better and more comfortable like we actually have something that we can say about it we're more informed on that part of the subject but today what we're going to be talking about is how we treat one another and how we treat our brethren who may be struggling in in this realm in their lives and joining us today we have a guest that um, Kevin is acquainted with and that Kevin knows and I have gotten to know through texting and email and briefly discussing and troubleshooting some technical stuff, trying to get this podcast going on this episode. Um, But we are joined by uh, Dallas James Pritt. We're thrilled to have you on the podcast and we're glad that you could take time to be with us, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I actually am a fan, so it's kind of cool to be on something I'm listening to myself. We've been wondering where that we've been wondering where that download's been coming from. It's just me. <laughs> Man, he listens a lot. He must have a lot of devices. Well, um, this whole time I thought it was my, you know, I thought that was my mom listening. So hey, glad we have yeah, somebody. And my listening. aunt, absolutely. Well, whenever Kevin and I were talking about having this discussion and and talking about this subject on our podcast. He said that he thought that you would be the perfect guest to have on here to discuss this with us. Kevin said that he got to know you after he wrote his first book and you guys had connected and discussed things. And I'll just kind of hand it off to you, Kevin, just kind of let you fill our audience in on how you and Dallas became acquainted and how you guys know each other. Yeah, so we, uh, I guess Dallas, was it a couple years ago when you had emailed me after I wrote A Different Kind of Poison, How Legalism Destroys Grace, and just briefly told me a little bit about yourself, and I know we made contact at that point and talked a little bit, and then have just spoken from time to time, and then just the the more that Lee and I have been doing this podcast and just wanting to really open up dialogue and talk about different conversations— I thought, man, Dallas, you know, you you would be perfect to have on this show to just have a good, open and honest dialogue and conversation about homosexuality, particularly your your upbringing and your experience and your situation and just the things you've gone through and where you're currently at right now and to let people actually hear from someone who is gay 
and to have that open and honest conversation that far often as Lee pointed out just really doesn't happen and 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 I found it ironic too because when you emailed me back I think it was 2018 maybe the first part of 2019 you had talked about how you had struggled a little bit with legalism and I want to get to that here in just a moment but before we get too serious <laughs> into some stuff I want to back up back up a little bit and talk about kind of your career and because uh, when I when I started to research you a little bit, I noticed that you've done some commercials. You were a pimple one time. Am I correct about that? <laughs> yeah, for urology. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about just some of the things that you've been involved in, a little bit about your career, and then we'll kind of get more into the personal stuff here in just a, just a few minutes. Yeah. So I'm a professional actor. Um, my background's in musical theater, um, but. I currently am based in Nashville, Tennessee. So for me, a lot of that work down here in the Southeast is film and television. So um, I've been mainly doing that for a while while also auditioning for Broadway and actually was really close to booking a Broadway show um, right before the shutdown happened. <laughs> but then shut down and then that show closed and then the rest of You're going to be uh, Olaf, right? Maybe. I don't know if I can fully say where I was supposed to be, but yes, that there was there was Go definitely ahead conversation. Go and say it, man. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did meet I did meet with the director of Frozen um while I was up in New York. Um and it was like Wednesday and then Thursday it was like announced that everything was shut down. I got an email from Disney saying the audition was canceled and booked my flight to leave on Friday and then the world literally shut down. So it was pretty pretty crazy. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, I've done that and I've done a few different commercials and um, was on a TV show with Billy Ray Cyrus on CMT and um, and then recently just uh, created, produced and actually pitched to get produced my own film called A Heart's Calling, which is went through a bunch of festivals across the country and now you can watch it for free on YouTube. Yeah, we'll provide a link to that video. I have sat down to try to watch that video. Kevin sent me the link probably four times now and something has happened every time and I haven't been able to finish it yet. But just from the first minute and a half or so that I've seen of it, the production is fantastic. It's definitely well done. So we'll provide a show, a, a link in our show notes to that, to anybody that's interested. Now you're involved in, in theater. You're involved in acting. You're an actor. That's, that's really, really cool. What about your background in life? Is that something that you had always aspired to? Is that something you had always wanted to get into? Or is that something that just kind of, just kind of, you, you discovered later on that you had a propensity for that and it's something that you had an interest in. So you just went for it. That's a great question. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as like getting into, it, I mean, we grew up um, in the same faith heritage that you guys did, I believe uh, church of Christ. And so that was kind of like, uh, apparently I was just kind of obsessed with that. Like my mom even made comments that like I would pretend to lead singing at like two years old in our living room. Um, and then like, it was just kind of this weird thing. I was like just obsessed with singing and being in front of people and making them laugh or react in some kind of way. So, and I think, you know, like every kid you see things like Barney and things. And I was like, Oh, that's so cool. And then I don't, somehow that turned into this like passion for it. And then I, they eventually let me take classes and, then I started working professionally at 16 and started working at theme parks. So from there, it just kind of took off. And then I wanted to study it more seriously in college and got a degree. And then here we are. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> but that's yeah. awesome. That yeah, was, was really, really, really cool. 
it's kind of cool. I know a celebrity now. That that's that's kind of cool. I'm I'm gonna have to send you something for an autograph, and I'll send it like yeah. return postage <laughs> he, requested. He, with he it. has one of his commercial reels, uh, I think, on YouTube, right, Dallas? Because I've I've seen a couple of those. Those are pretty. Yeah, cool. like or it's also on my website too. So you can, I'm sure, if you really wanted to find it, you can find things. <laughs> what's your go? What's your website? We'll make sure to link that too. Yeah, it's DallasJamesPritt.com. Awesome. Simple that be enough. Easy enough to remember, man. So you said you you said just a minute ago that you came up in the same heritage that Kevin and I have been a part of. Kevin came up in it. I came into it later. Sure. Um, but you were you were raised churches of Christ or within the Church of Christ. What was that like for you growing up? Um, because what, as I understand it, there's a lot of people who, whenever they have these struggles with their sexuality, and they're wondering who they are. And they feel that attraction to the same sex, that that's something that that really rattles them initially until they're able to come to terms with it and come to grips with it. What was what was that like for you growing up within the churches of Christ? And at what point did you know that you were gay? Because you are openly gay. You're out of the closet. You're not you're not in the closet. That is something that is very much a part of who you are. And you're open about that. When did you first realize that 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 was a part of who you are? Sure. I mean, actually, believe it or not, that conversation kind of started when I was in kindergarten with my parents. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, because that's when like, I started noticing things. But obviously, you know, when you're that young, you're not even because I think most people, uh, I mean, assign, you know, homosexuality or people being gay as like a sexual thing. Um, and obviously, yeah. at, at like, six years old, that's not happening. <laughs> or that's, you know, I, I wasn't even... <laughs> you know, able at that point, if you want to look at it that way. So yeah, I mean, that conversation kind of came up early um, because I was obviously noticing different things um, very young. Um, but as far as like growing up Church of Christ, like I knew, I mean, we had lots and lots of like fire and brimstone sermons with that topic. In fact, I remember the the minister that we had and he was actually, he's still the minister to this day. So he's been there for probably 30 years. Um uh, even made comments that people shouldn't even be going to certain universities because if you went to that university, you'd probably turn gay. So like, that was like my background was knowing that somehow these people are influenced to become something that was not good. And um, being gay was bad. And all I knew was it was doing something with someone of, you know, your same uh, like uh, sex and, yeah, I mean, it was kind of in, in around our house when it was talked about, it was just like this thing that was like the plague, basically. Um, so for me, I didn't fully know that that's what was going on. I mean, also at the same time, you know, my mom and my dad had made comments of like, you know, these people are like pedophiles. And when I started doing theater, I remember one of the first comments was, you know, stay away from this person. in a room alone with you. And looking back on that, I know that person now as an adult and that person would never do anything like that. So I think, you know, there's so many stories and stereotypes, I guess, that come with being gay that when I was hearing those things and realizing like I had these attractions, I'm like, well, I'm not a pedophile. I'm not. So like, I can't be this then, you know what I mean? It was kind of this. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Um, well it, well, it does. Um, I'm, I'll ask you something, though, if you would. Make sure you stay close to your microphone wherever you were sure. talking. It sounded like you were moving kind of away from it. So as you're talking, I don't want to miss anything that you have to say or that you have to contribute to the conversation at all. So as as this is unfolding and you're realizing that 
something for lack of a better term. And I, and to anyone that's listening, I, I don't want you to misunderstand. You know, I'm not saying that, Oh, there's something wrong, but at, at what point did you realize, you know, there's something amiss here. You said you were around in kindergarten when those conversations started happening. How did those sermons and how did those conversations affect you whenever you have that inborn sense of yourself within your own mind? Like, did that create any kind of an issue with, with yourself, any sort of like this internal conflict? Oh, yeah. What happened with that? Absolutely. I mean, I think through the whole time, like, it's also this thing that you like, for me, at least my experience is like, you had this thing that you didn't want and you were trying to figure out, did I really have it? Do I not have it? Like if that I do have it, how did I get it? What do I do with it? Um, It was kind of like I was given some kind of like, special skill that I didn't want. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it was like, I I didn't know, I didn't know how to deal with it because it wasn't, that wasn't talked about. It wasn't, you know, and, and all that I had heard about is if you had it, then you had some major problems. And I was like, well, I didn't, what did I do to get this? I didn't, you know, I'm just living my life as a young, you know, preteen. So yeah, no, it, it definitely. And I think that topic too, for me, definitely growing up in the church and, you know, we were, you know, the hardcore, like three times a week people. And my father eventually became an elder at the congregation. And um, so for us, it was like, uh, you did everything in your power for me to deny, go away from if, in fact, if anything, I was maybe more triggered by it than other people. So if that topic ever came up, then I was maybe the first person to try to condemn it and do something about it. Um, Just because it's like some overcompensation there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just because I was trying to fight it within myself, but also like, I think indirectly proved to myself that I was not going to be this thing and I couldn't be this thing. And um, so it definitely, it messes with you for a while um, because I think you also are trying to figure out like, what does that mean? You know, it's like that crazy question of if this is true, then what, what happens now? What do you do with it? So um, it definitely created a huge inner conflict that um, really didn't get, I wouldn't even call it resolved. It's never going to be resolved, I guess. But yeah. I didn't really get to come to heads with it until I was in college and really started actually getting professional help and really diving into some things. So when when you when you talk about being a preteen and you talk about being a middle schooler and then kind of getting into your high school days, especially attending church, I'm I'm sure you went to a lot of different youth events and things like that. W- was there ever a time that you felt like, hey? you know, this is, this is a group of people. They love me. They care about me. Uh, I know that this is something I can, I can really just be open and honest with and, and try to, to find somebody just to, to talk through what I'm experiencing, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. Uh, did, did you feel like that was the case or, or was it, Hey, I've got to keep this thing completely to myself. I mean, nobody can ever know how I'm really feeling right now. It was definitely something that those people that I did not feel comfortable sharing anything with. Also, that was kind of the culture at the congregation I grew up in. I mean, I remember I, I called Kevin this on the phone, like growing up when people would, you know, when the invitation go forward, there was a lot of gossip like, oh, what did they do kind of thing. And then it was always in the back of your mind, even though the whole idea of doing that obviously was for, you know, to start new, you were repenting and changing your life and trying to move past it. I think people at the congregation I grew up with always kept that like information that they got in the back of their mind about people that were there. So it honestly started to create a culture of people would not share things, period. Um, they didn't want to. Hey, 
Hey, it, it sounds like there's something covering up the microphone, brother. I'm so ah! sorry to interrupt. Um, is this any better? Yes, I can hear you yeah, now. So, okay. so the last part that I heard is that you were saying that there was a culture of people that would keep those things in the back of their mind and then it kind of trailed off. So go oh, ahead. Yeah. sorry about that, brother. No, you're fine. So basically like that church culture, if anyone had done something that they didn't want other people to know or were a part of things they didn't want people to know or had done something that they maybe they regretted, they would not tell anyone there because it caused such a judgmental reaction from people um, that eventually, I mean, people just were not talking to each other about true things. I mean, it became like a fake social club of like, how you doing? Great. Here to do my thing. Check my box. Move on with my life kind of thing. So while we did have youth events and things of that nature, it was very surface level. I don't think, you know, looking back, I'm close with some friends now that I was in, you know, close friendships with then if you want to look at it that way. But we honest, everyone felt they could not tell people what was really going on, regardless of what was happening in their life, because they were so scared of being ridiculed or judged or that that was going to last with them through the rest of their life kind of thing. Well, and, and that's why we're wanting to have this conversation, because everyone wants to immediately jump to the theology. We, we want to look past the person and we want to say, OK, well, uh, tell me what you believe so I know how I'm supposed to treat you. And, and that that has unfortunately been the filter through which a lot of people operate is they want to jump right to the conclusion of the matter and say, well, tell me what you believe on this and tell me what you believe on that. And, and based upon what what the answer, based upon what you tell me, I'm going to treat you a certain way. And in doing that, people are not looked at as people anymore. Right. And, and, you know, that's we were, when you and I were talking about doing this, you know, I, I said, look, we just want to talk to Dallas. You know, we're not we're not interested about coming on here and this particular episode and going through all the different Bible verses on homosexuality, because all of that is is second. Um, all of those things are, are are certainly not the first, because, you know, I want to read some stats here just so that people who are listening to this, if, if you're wondering, well, why, why do an episode like this? Well, we have to create a safe space. We have to create open and honest dialogue. And these are some stats actually Dallas shared with me. And actually, there was there's a whole lot more than what I'm about to read. But I just went through and kind of picked the ones that I thought would, you know, Dallas and I talked about this a little bit that I thought would be the best as well for specifically our audience to hopefully, uh, for for lack of better words, get people to understand the seriousness of of, of loving people. Loving people that even if you disagree with them, and especially teens who are struggling with homosexuality, and there's far more than people realize out there. Uh, so here are the stats. 40%, and these do include LGBTQ as a whole. And uh, so we're really keeping it, the conversation to homosexuality. But these stats are going to include kind of the, the umbrella here. But at 40% of LGBTQ respondents seriously considered attempting suicide in the fast in the past 12 months. So four out of 10 uh, youth LGBTQ, they have seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year. 68% of youth LGBTQ reported symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder in the past two weeks. 48% reported engaging, engaging in self-harm in the past 12 months. Almost half, almost half of youth under the umbrella of LGBTQ are harming themselves. They're hurting themselves half just in the past year. 
46%, once again, getting close to that half again, report they wanted psychological or emotional counseling from a mental health professional, but were unable to receive it just in the last 12 months. 29% have experienced homelessness and being kicked out, specifically tied back to because them being gay. One in three LGBTQ youth reported that they have been physically threatened or harmed in their lifetime and due to their identity. And LGB youth are almost five times. Now, this this doesn't include um, it, this just this stat right here just says LGBT youth here, but they're almost five times as likely to have attempted suicide compared to heterosexual youth. When you look at those stats, <laughs> It, it literally is heartbreaking and it's mind blowing. And and keep in mind these are these are youth. Okay, so we're talking about teenagers. We're talking about the time period Dallas just spoke of. And there is truly not a safe place in the majority of churches right now for people to be able to talk about these things in a way in which they're not going to be com- completely condemned, ostracized in that moment ridiculed, whatever it may be, that's not there. That's not being created. And we see the damaging result of what's of what's happening from that. So my question, uh, Dallas, to you is, is this something that you've experienced? Uh, you know, when, when, when all these stats we've just talked about, are these things that you yourself thought about, went through, experienced? And I know the answer is yes to some of this. So this is kind of a <laughs> softball question here, but you know, I want to go ahead and talk about your family too, if you're okay talking about that, because you know all of these things go hand in hand, and so I, I want to just kind of just uh, pass the torch to you to, to to discuss this with us a little bit, and and just you know share your heart with us, share what what happened um, through through that time, not just of the youth when you were hiding it, but also when you came out with this or when you did start having conversations. Uh, about your 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 homosexuality sure i mean that's a big it's a big question so i'll try to unpack it for you um yeah so i mean i think the hard thing that you know is definitely growing up in in a church setting or with a, a devoutly religious home where you know we are practicing you know following christ as every moment you wake up to every time you put your head down on the pillow you know it's definitely this whole internal struggle of like can I even exist? Because, you know, you're told that you can't be gay. And then if you're gay, you can't be Christian. So then when these two things start colliding with each other, then that's, I think, when a lot of depression, anxiety and things of that nature come about, because you you can't be both. And if both things are a part of who you are, then I think most people come to the next conclusion is then I just can't be period. Um, so I think that's where a lot of people go. Thankfully, um, I, I never got to that point, but I know so many people who have, um, I think for me, which is weird, I I refuse to believe they couldn't coexist together. Um, and, and I, I believed that I just didn't know enough information. And that's honestly when a lot of, for me, um, this is kind of where Kevin kind of picks up a little bit where I started kind of looking at other things in a different way of how we were, you know, raised and what we were taught um, and and seeing scripture in a new way. Because I think for me, 
it was never us really reading scripture and digesting it and processing it for ourselves. It was almost like what we would call an acting. We were given a line reading where we were told how to read it, how to interpret it, exactly what it meant, etc. Um, and I think when that started happening, um, indirectly, my faith became stronger because I was having to do more research for myself and actually dive into scripture and start doing research and looking into other theologians and people who had done work and actually kind of like opened up a whole new world for me. So that's where it kind of started leading me was down this path of like, if I can't be these two things, then what's happening? Because I believe, and you know, I know other people don't, but I personally believe I was born this way. So if they, if, if we're going to assume that's accurate, then what does that mean is basically the conclusion I came to. And how can I not follow Christ or can I still follow Christ? So it was this journey of figuring out what does that look like and what can it look like if it's not been done already? Um, and that kind of just led to a really cool amount of research and, and things of well, that nature. I, I was going to say, I, I remember it was, it was funny to me because when you emailed me, you were talking about how you were still struggling with instrumental music, uh, yeah. you know, or, or whether or not that's, that's, that's uh, authorized or not. And I, I think it's, to most people that may come as a shock because if you're gay, I mean, you know, you just, you just might as well, you know, who cares about anything else in the Bible, right? I mean, you're gay. So, you know, and, and, and I'm, and I'm being, you know, I'm being funny, but it's, it's, you know, that's the way that so many people do look at it. And here yeah. you are, you know, okay. You're like, all right, I'm gay, but I really have a problem with going to church if they use instrumental music, because I'm not sure that's authorized. <laughs> and so, you know, just, just seeing here, these, these faith struggles, that that you're going through and have gone through is and, and kind of still in the process. It's interesting because these are conversations a lot of people aren't having. These are right. conversations that uh, a lot of times people can't even feel like they can they can talk to their best friend about. And you know, I I just want to tell you because I mean you've read my book, so you obviously know what what a jerk I was, but. <laughs> when uh, a, a buddy of mine, Brandon, he's actually been on the show too, and I don't mind throwing him under the bus because he's changed with me. We've changed together. But um, when he was preaching at a congregation, we had a sign out front of the church. And uh, well, I said we, he did. And then uh, we talked about, hey, let's let's kind of create some some controversy. And in our minds, we thought we were creating good controversy. And so we put on the sign something like God doesn't accept homosexuals, and so we don't either. And uh, I, I mean, I'm sure, you know, as you can imagine, that brought a lot of people to Christ that following Sunday. I think we had 300 <laughs> baptisms and, you know, 500, uh, 500 restorations. Yeah, yeah. Once again, I'm being sarcastic. But uh, clearly, you know, all it did was just tick everybody off. But, you know, I, I think about how churches have tried to handle it. Um, you know, those who obviously are, are not affirmative and those who do believe it's wrong. And, you know, the the way that I was always taught homosexuality is a sin uh -huh. and homosexuality is a choice and that also homosexuality is is not a greater sin than any other homosexuality uh, than any other sin. And I learned there's a Greek word for that. It's called baloney um, because <laughs> most most people do. Uh, view homosexuality as a greater sin and not just view it as a greater sin. It's like the sin, right? It's like the sin you can, you can, in fact, I've had conversations with people before 
And they've told me, you know, they're, they're, they're like, oh yeah, you know, my son confessed to me, you know, wanted to talk to me about something. And I thought it was going to be bad, but all he did was tell me he had a porn addiction, you know, thank God that's all it was, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's like, oh my God. what, you know, it's like, are we not, or what, it, you know, or like what he's like, well, I, you know, I thought, I thought he was going to tell me he was gay, but you know, instead he's just addicted to porn. So, you know, that's, that's a whole, that's a whole lot better. Right. So it's, it's <laughs> this, it's this understanding and, you know, of, of that homosexuality is like the de facto sin and especially how it's been politicized and things of that right. nature. And it's, it literally is the sin. Uh, and, and once again, I'm speaking with, with my upbringing here. Okay. So I was taught that, you know, this is the sin that is like the, it's, 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 it's disgusting. It's sick. And the people that who, who were gay were disgusting and sick. And I remember having nothing but disdain for people who were homosexual. I really do. And what's sad about that is I didn't even realize that's what it was, at least not at the time. You know, to me, I was just defending the truth. And, uh, you sure. know, that's that's just, hey, that's just what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, I, can you guess how many homosexuals, number one, that I, I knew, or at least if they were a homosexual, <laughs> I knew that they were, or do you, can you guess how many conversations I actually had real conversations I actually had with homosexuals? And the answer is none during that time. And that, and that's what I experienced with a lot of people who are out here posting on Facebook, you know, Romans one and first Corinthians six, and then they're taking these verses <laughs> and, and, you know, they're the, are they're posting these memes and I'm like, look, how many friends do you have who are homosexual? Sure. And they're like, well, you know, one time I met this guy whose brother's best friend, sister's uncle, I think, you know, he's gay or something, you know, and it's like, we don't even, we're not even talking to people who are homosexuals. And if we are, we don't even probably know they're homosexual because they're scared to death if they are a homosexual to tell us they're a homosexual and to tell right. us they're gay. And so, you know, I, I that's something I want to kind of circle back around to kind of part two of that first question with your family is what happened? What happened when you, when you started coming out of the closet, when, when you, when you said, Hey, I'm gay. And this is, this is something that I've tried to suppress. This is something I've tried to change, but I'm gay. This is it. I mean, this is reality. I can't deny that. How was the response of your, from your friends and more specifically your, your family and even your church family at that time? Sure. So mine didn't happen all in one foul swoop, obviously. Um, some people probably do. But for me, it, it was when I was in high school, I started to tell people from school, not church, like, this is what I think is happening. And actually, like, the one of the very first people I told actually was like, well, um, I love you, but I can't be around you anymore because of that. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, well, I'm not doing anything. They're like, well, yeah, but this changes everything. And I was like, oh, okay. So that one experience then basically made me be like, okay, we cannot recreate this again kind of thing. So that, I mean, that pretty much held through my first, you know, couple of years in high school. And then eventually by the end of my high school experience, I was telling more people, you know, that I was closer with from school, still not church. Like, I think this is what's going on. You know, I'm trying to figure it out. Um, my parents are not going to be okay with this. Um, and because I had heard my parents talk about how they're disgust for it, actually, I actually um, created two safe bags that went to two different friends' houses that if I ever were to get kicked out or if something were ever to have happened, that I actually could go to their house and, and stay there because, 
my mom knew that I was doing theater at that time and knew that there was people who were involved in theater who were gay or were likely to be gay and did not want me partaking in that, whatever that you want to say that is, um, or even be like friends with those people. Um, and had even threatened at one point to kick me out of the house if I became friends with them. Um, so I was terrified that if, if I was even friends or even were to go down that path that, um, I would get kicked out. So that's why I created two safe bags that went to two friends' house. Um, so I, and at that time, my dad had just gotten his eldership. So there was also this concern too of like, I don't want to have this conversation with my parents because my dad's going to lose his position. It's going to make him look bad in the church. And it's going to be my fault. Um, you know, cause of the whole, you know, you had to have believers in your household in order for his qualification to be an elder. So it was like, not only am I like ruining my life, I'm going to be ruining everyone else's kind of thing. So that even kind of made it more impossible in my mind to come out to them. Um, so I didn't fully come out to them until I had actually was an adult. Um, it was almost three to four years ago, um, after I had even graduated college and had my undergrad and was a working professional. and. I didn't even fully tell them what happened was somebody told somebody else who told somebody and that person called my mom and was just like, Hey, I had heard this, you know, like, that's so interesting. And my mom's like, what are you talking about? Um, and so I stopped at my parents' house on the way through from jobs since I travel all the time. And my parents like sat me down and then like my dad prayed before we had the conversation. And I was like, this is happening. So I know exactly what's happening. Um, and we had the conversation and it did not go well. Basically it, the first question was like, are you gay? And I said, yes. And then all of these assumptions slash questions started coming out. Like the first question was, do you have AIDS? And then I was like, what, what are you talking about? And then, <laughs> yeah. And then that's I was funny, like, but it's not, it's, I mean, it's funny, but it's not, I'm sorry. It's no, I mean, it's true. It's like, it's funny now, but at the time I was like, what are like, what who do you think I am? Like, it was like, <laughs> oddly and i think that's so sad because i think most people like when you tell them this then there's like a flood of like worst fears or stereotypes or assumptions just come out and i'm like i really am not like this awful human being like i was just like do you think i'm a, like on the edge of the street doing like crazy like drugs and things now like i haven't changed my personality um but yeah i mean that was like the very first question he had and then you know um it then followed up with my dad was like, well, you're not going to be welcome in our home if you're pursuing a relationship. And then he was like, and then he had his Bible and he went to pull out the scriptures. And I started quoting the scriptures before he could even get there. And I think that really caught him off guard. And I was like, I was raised in your household. I know exactly what you believe. I went to church with you three <laughs> times a week. I know, I know what you're going to say. I even can tell you the Greek words for these things. I, I have done my work and research. I know where I stand on this right now. And and he didn't really know how to feel about that. And then that kind of got my mom upset. And then she felt like I was being blasphemous and then kind of cried and then and basically just like yelled just from, I think, just frustration and fear. And then she left the room. And then um, my dad, I think, was stuck because I think he thought, well, he was going to get me with telling me, you know, these seven passages that I already knew were going to come at me at some point in time. And then he didn't know what, how to move forward with the conversation because I already told him what they said, how they said it and told him the three different ways it was changed between translations. And he was like, Oh, okay. And then he kind of left and then it kind of left me feeling like what, so what do we do now? Kind of thing. Um, so it didn't yeah. go well. Um, and we, we really did not, 
know how to have conversation after that. And it, it ended with me leaving pretty much the very next day. Um, because my dad had basically said, you know, I wasn't welcome there if that's what I had thought and that's what I believed. And if I was going to pursue, you know, a relationship of any sort, um, that was not going to be okay. And he basically had told me his theology conclusion, which I don't want to go too far into this, like we talked about, because this is like a whole different episode and more than an hour, hour and a half than we could have. But, um, to be part, part two, <laughs> right? Literally. And he basically told me his theology conclusion, which was interesting because it was advanced for our congregation at the time was he thought if I was same sex attracted or gay, as long as I wasn't pursuing a relationship or remained celibate, he was okay with that. Um, which at how we grew up, as far as I was concerned, um, you know, if you were gay, like that, you couldn't even say that word. Like that wasn't even a possibility. It's like being an adulterer, right? You couldn't be yeah. an adulterer unless you committed adultery. So in their mind, we're not born gay. So if I'm gay, I must have done gay things, you know what I mean? Which was not accurate information. Um, so I think for him, I thought that was very advanced because, um, I had kind of, kind of gotten rid of all these illusions in their mind that I was like, you know, having a bunch of sexual relationships. And I was this deviant human being who was maybe caught up in drugs and a pedophile ring. And like, you know, like just like, <laughs> you know, these like crazy things that people expect I'm wearing tight clothes and like, you know, walking out in pride parades with my booty hang, like just, you know, things that people are assuming that like was not me. And if, if anyone knows me, what will never be me. Um, so it's kind of one of those things where I think they just didn't know what this meant and what, what to do with it. So it, it, to this day, it's still a conversation that barely gets brushed to the surface of. Um, I had a lot of other family who were not Church of Christ who were very lovely and welcoming. And it's interesting because, you know, how we grew up, it church, as far as how it was set up, was supposed to be the safe haven, was supposed to be like our true family and the people we depended upon. And I, it was so interesting to me that as I was struggling through something that I was trying to figure out, the people I could depend upon were not people in church, which was really saddening to me because everything I was taught in that moment was no longer accurate. Um, and it, if anything, I was more leery and um, nervous around those people because I didn't feel like they were safe or trustworthy at all. Um, which is sad because it shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't. And whenever we consider what the church is, the family that we have been added to, it's a spiritual family. I mean, it's God's family. And in that, we are supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love everybody, but especially those of the household of faith, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. And whenever you're telling your story, brother, I mean, you're talking about your physical flesh and blood. You're talking, and you know, I've got kids. My wife and I have four kids and I have certain aspirations for them. There are things I would like to see them accomplish in life. You know, I'm not going to be one of these people that maps out the entirety of their life for them. Sure. But, you know, I want to see them happy. I want to see them, you know, pursue good things. I want to, I want them to be a bright spot in this dark world and to do something good in this world. And I would like to think that if they came to me with something that weighed on their soul that heavily, that I'd be able to be there for them. Even if it was something that disappointed me, even if it was something that I disagreed with, I would hope that I would be able to be there for them and that they would feel safe bringing that to me. But whenever you talk about what you experienced, 
that is not an uncommon thing for people within the LGBTQ community. I mean, you look at the statistics that we talked about before. It's no wonder. It's a terrifying prospect to be outed before you're ready. It's a terrifying prospect to even come out when you're ready. And there are some people that are never ready. They stay in the, in the closet forever. They just, they can't bring themselves to come out because of the fear of disappointing their family, of disappointing their loved ones, of letting these other people down or the, the trouble that will inevitably arise with their coming out. And, and things are changing in society. Things are changing in culture where people can do that. And they can come out with less fear than they had before, but it's still a terrifying prospect. And as, as someone who has struggled with depression, as someone who has struggled with anxiety and who at one point was suicidally depressed, I mean, I can definitely relate to those feelings of despondency to a point, you know, mine, it was all situational. I was just at a point in life where life didn't go the way that I thought that it was going to go. We were flat broke. I'd spent a tremendous amount of time and money getting a degree. And, you know, the business that I borrowed a ton of money to start wasn't going well. You know, things are different now. But in that moment, I, I, I would take a route to work. I would take a back road. And because I, I couldn't afford to renew my tag on my car. And there was a tree off in the distance. I had a life insurance policy that if I were, I was worth more alive than, or dead than alive. If I were Mm -hmm. to die, all the debt would be taken care of. My wife and new baby daughter would be taken care of. And there were times I was thinking, you know, all I got to do is take off my seatbelt, floor it, get up to about 80 and hit that tree. And all my problems are solved. Mm -hmm. But that was situational. That was situational. I came out of that and, and everything's good now. Everything's fine. But I can't imagine how hard that would be whenever it's not situational. It, it's, it's a deep-seated part of who you are. This is a part of who I am. These are feelings that I have, like you were saying just a little bit ago, that I don't really even want. I don't really know what to do with this. Am I defective? Like, like how does this even work? Right. You know, it, it's not a situation that's going to change. It is a deeply ingrained, fundamental aspect of who you are. I can't imagine how hard that would be. And and I have a question for you. I'd like to ask this, and it kind of goes a little bit afield of of what we were going to talk about before. But whenever you were telling your story, you had said something about a a safe bag. What is that exactly? So I had uh, pairs of shoes, shirts, uh, socks, toothbrush, toothpaste. Literally, if I were to get kicked out, it was something that I knew I could have that would fit me and that I would have to wear or to, to basically depend upon. So it's like a getaway, Oh, getaway bag. Pretty much. If you got kicked out, you'd have something to at least live off. Yeah. Something you could. Wow. The fact that you even have to think about packing a bag like that's ridiculous. And like you're saying, you, you didn't feel comfortable having that conversation with anyone in your church, whenever I was going through my struggle with, with depression and with suicide, I felt the same way about going to people in, in church, about going to different brethren, whether it was in our congregation or in a neighboring congregation or people in different congregations in the brotherhood that I had, you know, come to know and become acquainted with. And in that, it's like, how are these people going to look at me? Because like you said, Dallas, it's, it's, 
those relationships tend to be superficial whenever we can't be real with one another and we right. can't really share our souls and share our hearts with people who are supposed to be the people that are there to help us navigate the waters of life. And it's, I can relate to a point, but I can't imagine just the distress that that would place on someone's mind. Well, and you have to think too, like, for definitely for my situation, and the reason I probably never got to the point of full on suicide was because I don't know why I accented it that way. Suicide. Um, <laughs> I was like, what am I saying? My, um, yeah, my <laughs> accent can mess everybody up, man. Just just try to try, follow uh, the beautiful voice of Lee and you'll have nothing to worry about. Lee is like made for radio. I tell you what. Um, but no. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like my whole life was it was basically at risk was as how that was the stakes that I always viewed was the people that I knew that I because we I mean while I had friends at school which I did like the people that we were around the most were church people and you know my whole most of my immediate family including one set of grandparents went to this church and everyone that we knew was extended from that so it was like if this information comes out, my world as I knew it was going to collapse. I, in my mind, I was losing all financial support. I was losing um, all of my friends. I was losing all of my family. Um, I, I was losing everything as far as I was concerned. So in my mind, there was no possible way this information could get out because everything that I knew was going to go. And even as an adult, it was I didn't want to no longer have a relationship with my parents when I knew what our church's stance on it was. I mean, it was almost like immediately I knew a disfellowship letter was probably going to be coming my way. And it was like, and you're, it's going to be signed by your father, who's one of the elders at that congregation. So what, what do you, you know what I mean? How do you navigate that? It was one of those things where it, as long as I could, I was standing on that diving board without jumping into the water because I was trying to keep what I could as much as I could, um, which is it's totally terrifying. And I think that's why a lot of people suicide in their mind makes the most sense because they view themselves as the problem. So the only way to get rid of the problem is to get rid of themselves. And Dallas, that's something I want to, I want to circle back around to with your, your dad, when you, you and him were having this exchange just three or four years ago when you first told him you were gay and just the, the questions that he asked, you know, do you have AIDS or, you know, it's kind of this uh, assumption of, oh, okay, well, all these other things must be going on then you're having gay orgies and you must be a pedophile. Right. Do you like little boys too? And that's, you know, that, that kind of gets back to, I think a lack of empathy and, and education yes. on, on what's going on. Because like I was, you know, saying earlier of, of the guy that I, I knew years ago who talked about, he was afraid that he, his son was going to tell him he was gay. And then he just told him that he had been looking up pornography and he was relieved. And, and that, that, the reason why he was relieved is because this man himself struggled with pornography. So he's like, Oh, I understand that. I, I, I can have grace and tolerance. You know, I, I didn't sit there and uh -huh. say, Oh, well, you're looking at pornography. Well, are you going to go out and rape a little boy? Are you going to go out and rape a girl because you're looking at pornography? You know, those questions weren't being asked. Right. But, and the reason is, is because a lot of times when it's a sin, we can empathize with, uh, it's easier to have grace and patience and tolerance. Not always, but most of the time it is because we can say, oh, okay, well, yeah, I've struggled with that too. Or, you know, if you go, if you talk to somebody who maybe has struggled with alcohol before, and maybe that that's some, you know, or drugs or whatever, and, and you hear about that, and someone goes, oh, you know what, that's something I struggle with too. Yeah, that's hard. It's difficult. People don't just stand there and say, well, just stop it. Just get over it. 
Uh, you know, it's Bible says that that settles it and, and let's just move on. There, there's so much more empathy that goes on behind closed doors with those types of sins. And, and, and I'm using the word sin because, you know, I, I'm trying to talk to both sides here who are listening Absolutely. to this, you know, from the perspective of even if you do think it's a sin, um, it's it's the the idea that what makes this worse than anything else? And and I do want to just briefly, I don't want to get too deep into theology here, but, you know, sometimes people will talk about, well, the Bible calls it an, an abomination in the Old Testament or Romans 1. And, you know, it's it's against nature and those types of things. And you'll hear people try to rationalize their hate <laughs> toward the sin. And that's what it comes down to is, is I've got to figure out a way to rationalize why I hate this more than I do something else that I think right. is wrong. And, you know, I just, I just wonder when, when you're going, when you're, when you're talking to your dad, having this conversation, it, what was there any time in that conversation or since then, when you felt like, Hey, we both are letting our guards down and we're just literally trying to understand one another. Did you ever feel like that, that that was the case? Or was it just always the, let me just throw some stuff at you, son. You need to change. What else are you doing wrong? You know, or, or was it, hey, son, I love you. I care about you. And, you know, tell me what's going on. I mean, not, not really. Um, it was, it was mainly the latter of, I think in their minds, they, because I, this is just how, you know, this is the culture of how he raised it was like, he almost had to prepare a lesson on what he needed to tell me. And I think he had this whole, I think, speech prepared in his mind of what he was going to say and how he was going to execute it. And, you know, make sure that this passage was there and this at this point, and then make sure that that led to this next passage just to make, you know, and like, and I think when I kind of like threw the wrench in it, then I think, I think it kind of made him freak out. So I think he was never able to have like that conversation of like, well, you're still my son. It was because, you know, I don't believe my mom meant this, but when she got up and left, she even said, you spit in our face and you spit in God's face. And that's the comment she made before she left. And basically, you know, I had made the comment of, so are you saying I'm no longer your son? And my dad's like, well, we're not, not saying that kind of thing. And it, so it, it was a defense mechanism. And I knew that at the time. Um, and thank goodness for therapy, because I, I had played this situation out in my mind and with my therapist multiple times of how this was going to go. So if anything, I was a little bit more prepared for it, but he never was able to get fully vulnerable and um, let the guards down of getting to know, because I think there was also some fear involved. I think, you know, it's all those assumptions that come with it. And I think he was afraid to even think that his son was doing those things or, or could be that kind of person. And then that, you know, I'm sure there's guilt that comes with that. Like, how did I raise that kind of, you know, there's like a whole rabbit trail of, I think where people go with this. Cause I think my parents then thought they did something. Cause that, that was more questions that came up. You know, I went to a church of Christ college. I went to Lipscomb and it's considered more uh, how we grew up was considered liberal. And the first question my dad said was this because you went to Lipscomb. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> no, like, you know, like it was made you gay. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> of course not. Like, you know, it, it was it was all these kinds of questions. Uh, my favorite one, which is a joke now, is like he was like, well, 
do you have boy? I, I heard you have multiple boyfriends. And I started laughing. I said, I can't even get one. So why do you think <laughs> like, I was like, you know, like it was just this crazy, you know, it's like all their worst fears are coming true kind of thing. And, and I knew it's catastrophizing everything. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it is scary. I mean, I'm sure being in their shoes, they have dreams and aspirations and, and thoughts. And, you know, I think people also think I can't have grandchildren now and my whole world's crumbling apart, you know? So and I knew that at the time um, that that's what they were going through. But I, I, we it's a it's a conversation. I think they know now that I, how where I am and that the church and congregation I go to now, I'm very my faith is stronger than ever. And I think they don't know what to do with that. So I think most people that they know and people that I even know when this top topic comes up, they're like, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. I don't ever want to go to church again. I don't want to deal with this. And I was the opposite. I was like, let's lean into the dis- this, this discomfort a little bit more and let's figure it out. Um, and one, one, oh, I'm sorry. Go for it. No, you go for it. Oh, no, no, no. You finish your thought. I, I, part of your it, part, sometimes one of the streams that cuts off a little bit and I thought you had finished your thoughts. So I wasn't meaning to talk over you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. Yeah. So I, for me, I've been the person who's just said like, Let's lean into the discomfort and let's talk about it and grow with grow together and let's let's figure it out. Um, and that's how most of my relationships are now with a lot of the church people. Um, before the congregation I went to now, I met with multiple ministers and I said, I just want to be point blank honest with you. This is where I am. This is my experience. This is what I believe. This is the theology behind it. Does this fit within your context or does it not? And and can I be a part of your congregation in your body or not and it's okay if you don't feel comfortable with that i've heard that before um and i'll move on and go to where i need to go the next time and it, that's just it's totally changed so i think for my parents they're afraid to have that conversation because i think they know ultimately like i'm not gonna my position maybe is not gonna move to the direction they want it to go um so i feel like i just talked in circles i don't even know what the point i was trying to make is but um well, well, hopefully that makes I sense was- it makes great sense. And what I wanted to say, what is impressing me about about what you're describing in your entire discourse and all of this, what's most impressive to me is your demeanor with all of this, your attitude in all of this, because you're incredibly gracious. You're incredibly kind. You're looking at it from their point of view. You know, growing up in that faith tradition, you understand where they're coming from. You understand what their hangups are. You understand what their predilections are, why they have a problem with it. I mean, you know all of that in gory detail. And yeah. you're still work doing what you can to preserve their feelings. You're doing what you can to be empathetic towards them. And, and to me, that's huge. I mean, that's what we need more of in the church itself. Because whenever these conversations happen, everyone wants to dig their heels in on both sides of the conversation. Vitriol is in no short supply whenever that happens, because you have people on, I'd I'd call it the church side of it, who want to point their fingers at you and tell you you're a horrible, egregious sinner bound for a devil's hell. And the other people on, on the on the other side of the conversation want to say, well, you're a bunch of closed minded bigots who are exhibiting hate rather than love. And we don't want anything to do with you. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why so many people who grow up in a Christian home, people who experience the good that can come from being a part of a faith community are willing to reject that because of how they're treated whenever they come out or how they see 
their homosexual or trans friends and neighbors and loved ones, how they see them being treated. I mean, I wouldn't want any part of that if it were me. So yeah. I, I, I well, think you're definitely a stronger person than I am in it, that regard, because I'd be one of them to be like, see it deuces. I'm out. Yeah. And, and that's right. something too, Dallas, you know, just that I've always respected about you when we've had our conversations and just, just really getting in depth with some different things is, you know, you, you even told me that you're not all about these dichotomies where, Hey, you know what, if you're either for me or you're against me. And if, if, if you don't take me as I am right now and, and jump on the, the gay parade bandwagon and start waving your, your flag, then, uh, look, you, you, you just don't love me and you don't care about me. And, and that's not how you are because what I, what I appreciate about you is you're also creating a safe space for people like us. For yeah. people that that we can can talk about these things and not feel like we just have to try to defend our our point, but to hear what you have to say. Because when I when I say safe space, I don't mean oh let's just you know give people an extra month to repent. I'm talking about actually creating <laughs> a safe space for true dialogue. Um, sure. You know, look, I, I'll leave and made mention of this up front. There are so many things that have been oversimplified in Christianity, and especially growing up in a legalistic environment, everything is oversimplified. All we need is a book, chapter, and verse, and if we have that, we feel like we have our ammunition, we've weaponized the Bible, and we're ready to go. The problem is, once you take that that bullet out of the gun and you, you open it up and you actually see, huh, wow, there, there's a lot here that I really haven't discovered, and before I start shooting off all these bullets at folks, I may need to, to, to reconsider some things. And even if I still land on a certain position, maybe I need to reconsider how I'm expressing this position, how I'm handling this position, how how I am plowing forth or not plowing forth with a position and, and relating to other people who are involved in this. You know, Christianity is relational. It's not propositional. And there, there's so many things that we can just, you know, and by the way, we understand this on other things. And what I'm about to say here, I, I, it's going to be construed, I know, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway, because um, Dallas and I talked about it. and Dallas thought it was a good point. So, hey, I'm going to use it. Um, <laughs> you know, when you and I were talking about this uh, on the phone not too long ago, let's take something like worry, okay? And, and it's going to be hard because I'm sure people on both sides of this are going to be upset at, at this, but I'm, I'm just trying to make a point here. If, if you believe homosexuality is a sin, if you believe you shouldn't be homosexual, and to the, to the point of, of what your dad said, Dallas, I think more people fall in line with that understanding. You know, that, that's the way I was taught is it's okay to be gay as long as you don't act on it. That, that, was, that was kind of my belief. You know, when you act on it, once you get a relationship at that point, that's kind of the line that needs to be drawn. But the, if, you know, regardless of where you're at right now, people who are listening to this, uh, assuming that homosexuality is wrong, if you believe that acting upon homosexual behavior is wrong, how many people, if you were to go and try to have a conversation right now at your typical, let's just say Church of Christ, since that's, that was all of our heritage, would say, you know what? Hey, I understand what you're going. Man, it's tough. Hey, you know, wow, the world's tough out there. Let's have this conversation. We're going to work with you. We're going to love you. And, you know, this this just may be kind of who you are. This just may be how things are. This may be the way that, that you were designed. Chances are that conversation is not going to happen at too many of the churches of Christ that we grew up in, right? That's just not going to happen more than likely. I mean, would you guys agree with me on that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So now there's a lot of grace centered ones out there that I think would, but I mean, by and large with our particular brand in the churches of Christ, that's not going to happen. 
But what if somebody came in and said, you know what? I have always struggled with worry. I mean, I mean, I have always just worrying. I mean, since, since I was, since I was in kindergarten, like I used to worry about my grades. My mom and dad remember how I used to worry. I mean, since even before I, I can't remember a time when I wasn't worrying. And then the preacher said, well, you know what? You need to repent because Jesus said you don't need to worry and you just need to get over it. We give you one week to make a public confession and you have to change <laughs> from this point forward or else you're not welcome here. That doesn't happen, right? People say, oh my goodness, I worry too. Yeah, and you know, let, let's talk about this. Let's let's struggle with this. Let's discuss this. Let's walk through this together. Now, there's going to be people who say, I can't believe Kevin just equated homosexuality with worry. And there's going to be other people who say, I didn't, can't believe Kevin just equated homosexuality with worry. Because my, my point, <laughs> I'm not trying to equate the two. My point is the inconsistencies and in how church communities are willing to take some things that they think are wrong and 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 say come on we're going to we're, we're we're going to join with you we're going to walk with you this may be something you never get over this just may be who you are and and we're going to love you in spite of that but then other things that they believe are sin it's nope we're not we're not going to talk to you you're not even welcome here we don't even want to see you we don't you know I mean goodness you probably got AIDS and all sorts of stuff you got the cooties I don't want to mess with you you know and I mean it's just this it's it's horrible it's horrible yeah. and and that that is something that I have repented of personally in just the way that I have treated people who I disagree with on 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 any issue right I mean any any issue anytime I disagree with somebody it's it's my I see my own inconsistency come out regardless of what issue it is because the things that I tend to not be able to relate to are the things that are so easy to condemn and justify, and it's it's or, or excuse me the things that I can relate to are so easy to justify, but the things that I can't those are nope don't want anything to do with it and I don't know it just it just goes I'm kind of rambling here a little bit but my point is is that. I can guarantee you us having this conversation, people are going to get upset about it. Sure. And, and, and I really don't care <laughs> because these conversations need to be had. And it's, it's one of those things people need to hear your, your heart. They need to hear your voice and they need to realize that you're a real person who, who it's, this isn't just a switch where, Oh, well just stop being gay Dallas. And I hear it all the time. Well, if you're homosexual, just stop, just stop. Um, you know, it's, it, it doesn't work that way. And so I think that this is something that I am in just continuing to study, but my, my main focus right now is not so much being concerned and making sure, you know, I'll just always hold the quote unquote truth on every issue, but making sure I hold the truth of loving people and loving people, even if I don't agree with them and, and showing them that I love them and making sure that I'm consistent in that, which brings me to the, to the, to another question I want to ask you to, to really just hear and pick your brain a little bit on, on your suggestions. There are people listening to this who are, are, I'm sure, affirmative. There are people listening to this who are not affirmative, but they're friendly, meaning that they would treat you the right way, but they would still ultimately disagree because you are affirmative, right? I, I want to make, you know, I want people to know that you're not, you're not of, you're not of the belief that- Self-loathing type. Yeah, you're not of the you're not of the belief that you have to remain unmarried or that you can't date. Am I correct in saying that? I'm going to answer this, and it's going to blow your mind. I'm going to say yes and no. This is good. So, what I mean by that oh, is, this is interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I'm actually uh, I'm I'm under the impression that this is going to really then this is probably grace centered, and people are 
our COC people are going to freak. Um, <laughs> it's, I actually believe like if we're truly, I think it's all intentions, right? And Kevin, we talked about this before on the phone. Mm-hmm. I think if you're truly trying to put Christ first in your life and you're truly trying to do the best you can, and if that leads you to the conclusion that you need to be celibate, I say good for you. And I think I respect that totally. And I think that's fine. And, but if you are also doing that and you're also trying to, cause I know people in my life now who are only willing to get into a relationship with someone of the same sex, if God is also first in their life and that's the person they're pursuing together, I say good for you. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not against any of those things. So I think you can totally be celibate. And if that's what you believe you need to do, and that's where your theology lands, and that's where your heart lands, and that's because you believe you're following Christ, and that's what you need to do, I think that's great. And I also think that if you're also going to do, you know, find a relationship with somebody that you can go to church with three times a week, and that you can have a family with, and that your life is totally dedicated to Christ, because I do know people like that as well, who am I to say that that's not right either? Um so that that's where I am at this point, which is probably totally crazy. And I know it's like in the gray zone, but that's where I am. Believe it or not. <laughs> I have learned to really appreciate those gray zones, brother. Yeah. I, th- I think really we kind of learned. Yeah. We're, the, we're the, the gray zone planted there now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Lee dismisses the creation account of Genesis um, as being just parabolical and which he's convinced me of that too. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that uh, we kind of live in the gray zone. And, yeah. and people don't like that. People don't like that because they want you to take a, a hard line stance because that's what they've been taught truth is. And, you know, look, we all three know this better than anybody. I mean, we, we were part of the one true church, right? I mean, you know, we, yeah. we and, and Lee was one of the, the, the one true one cup church, man. So, I mean, like he, he gets an extra star, but it, oh, it's, yeah. it's <laughs> when, when you just, when you just listen to what you just said, um, that, that is so interesting to me. And I think what happens, because I keep going back to the conversation with your dad in my mind. And, you know, I, I know you and I have talked about it previous to, to this. And, and this is just something that I keep thinking about and I keep wondering about. Why, why do we throw all these questions at people? And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, you're not... When someone thinks of a homosexual, they want them to be the person who has AIDS. They want them to be the person who's the pedophile. They want them to be the person who are all these horrible things because that way they can condemn it. No questions asked. Right. It's it's in mm-hmm. their mind. It's like, hey, why? You know, all these all these gays out there, they're just sleeping with little boys. And when we when we kind of throw it all in the pot like that, it it it, it mixes it all together and it makes it easy. But when you actually listen to someone like yourself all of a sudden now you've kind of got to engage that person. You, you've got to now say, huh, wait a minute, Dallas, that's not what you're supposed to believe. I thought you were gay. <laughs> you're not supposed to believe that. You know, I, I've, I've got to find a way to automatically discredit you. And then you have to start getting into theology. And which, you know, I have found in my own studies, most Christians who are not affirmative, they're, uh, they're really bad I just I'm just going to say it. Um, they're 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 really bad at trying to show why homosexuality is a sin. Now, uh, as you and I have talked about, I'm I am would not consider myself affirmative right now. Um, you know, we have discussed this, and, and Lee obviously he he doesn't either right now. Uh, and I say right now because I'm always studying. 
I'm always trying to develop a better understanding. But I will say that the way that things are being handled, it's not right. And the, the more that I learn about grace, the more that I learn about things like mercy triumphs over judgment, the more that I learn who Jesus is, the more that I see how we are all falling short in one way or, the, or another, um, how we're all struggling, how there's, as you pointed out, and Lee pointed out, there's so much gray. I, I, I want to end with this question, and that is this, how can the church change and not just the churches of Christ, I'm speaking the church in large, Christianity as sure. a whole, and do a better job at loving their gay neighbors. And 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 let's put it in perspective. Let's, you know, if, if someone's affirmative, I doubt they're having too, too much of a difficulty doing that. But if someone is not affirmative, maybe they're on the the spectrum where, where me and Lee would be considered. We're more of the what we would consider friendly. Um, you know, we're not going to be walking any gay parades, but at the same time, we are definitely going to be extending a, a right hand of fellowship and being able to continue to to have open dialogue and conversation and to be able to to love and have those relationships so that we can continue to to learn from each other and and show the grace and mercy of God as we try to struggle and as we work through these things together. What would you say to to those people like ourselves, and also the the people who would probably be on the the far other spectrum, which is you know, hey, it's wrong. It's just period. I mean, there's no discussion to be had. The Bible says that that settles it. We're not even interested in discussing. How even with those individuals, would you suggest doing a better job? How can we all do a better job at loving our gay neighbors? Sure. So I believe it or not, I've answered this question many times. Um, I. My thing that I always say is yes and. So for instance, if we believe that homosexuality is absolutely wrong and it is a sin and it is a problem, yes and. So what are you going to do about that? Are you just going to shun the person? Are you going to walk through it with them? And if our job is to bring more people to Christ, how is shunning and basically casting them out, bringing them to Christ, how is that helping the situation? You know, how... how I think we just have to start thinking about our reactions in a more Christ-like manner. I don't think Christ would be like, well, you lost your shot. Good luck. You know what I mean? Like if that's really, if we're truly supposed to be bringing more people to Christ and and sharing like goodness and love and peace with other people, I I don't know how you're going to convince them to come and join you in that when all that they're experiencing from you and their point of view is the opposite. Um, and the same thing, I always say it with celibacy too. Okay, so if we're going to uh, agree that people are have to be celibate, yes and. So you have to then realize that that is going to be a hard road for that person. Regardless of even, I think, sexuality, if someone's deciding to keep be celibate and they're straight, we have to then realize that holidays are hard for those people. When people get pregnant or have families or grow into that, those are hard events for those people. So what are you going to do with that person to walk alongside them? If they're truly your brother in Christ, we, we have to start thinking about more than just the, the words, but like the actions that have to follow through with that. Like if we really are wanting to condemn it, then we need to work with people and love them and help them through this issue. If it's really an issue. And if the only solution of course is celibacy, then we have to be able to know that this person 
they may only have you in their life at that point. They don't have family. They don't have children. They don't have other people. They, I know one person who has, um, who is celibate and they don't even have a dining room table. And the reason they don't have a dining room table is because it reminds them that at night when they have dinner, that they're going to be sitting there alone. So they have a fold up table and a chair that they put away because they don't want to be reminded every night that what they believe they have to do is be alone and single the rest of their life and not have a family. And as their family and parents start to pass away, the more alone and isolated they start to feel. So I think people just have to start thinking past the initial knee jerk reaction and think if this is where we're going to be, we have to love and live and work alongside these people because we are people and we do desire community and, um, and our, and most of the time are trying to do your best with following Christ. And some people believe it, the path looks very different for us. And so if that's the truth, then we need help. We, we need people's, um, hand and love and guidance along the way, because it's, it's not going to be quote unquote easy, definitely compared to, you know, people who may not have to have those choices or decisions in their lives. Um, and so it's, it's, it's hard. I, that's, that's mainly what I tell people is you, you can say those initial things, but your, your actions have to follow through because otherwise you're going to lose people. And that's why I think we talked about earlier before, you know, the suicide rate's so high and, and the anxiety and depression and self-harm rate is so high just because at the end of the day, you're leaving people with ultimatums and or no decision. And when you leave people with those things, that leaves them with, hopelessness. It leaves them with no community. It leaves them with um, so much less than a lot of other people. And it's hard for people. So I think I, I'm all about people using scripture and doing what they can if they if they believe those things, but they have to realize that there's things that happen after that. Um, and there's things that have to be followed through with. Man, that what an answer. I mean, that is that's fantastic. I, I've that's the best way I have ever heard it put. And to those who are listening, I didn't know how he was going to answer that. So that literally was absolutely fantastic, Dallas. And, uh, you know, that th this is something that when when we were talking about this conversation, how um, how needed I think things like this, these, these things are. And because it's everyone is just kind of expected to create a position and all three of us have come out of legalism. And when you do that, you question everything. Right. There, there, there's there's this sense in which you say, OK, all right, I, I want to go back and kind of reestablish uh, a gauge of how I'm coming to my conclusions and make making sure that I'm just not oversimplifying things. And I mean, just the way that you put that. It's powerful because it's relational, and there there's something. And Lee, I don't know if if I have talked to you much about this or not, but I've been reading a couple of books right now, and it's talking about the importance of how we make our decisions. Like how how is a Christian supposed to make their decisions? And I was taught that you have either logic or you have emotion. And when it comes to the Bible, you always have to use logic, and so that that pits logic against emotion. And this book is talking about how part of making good decisions is, is actually utilizing your your positive emotions. Um, and we see Jesus doing this. How often was Jesus on his way to do something, but then the text says, and he was moved with compassion? 
Well, what yeah. is compassion? That's an emotion, right? You, 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 all of a sudden, Jesus was like, wow, I am like so moved right now. Logically, I need to keep going because I've got somewhere I need to be. But emotionally, I, 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 my compassion, I'm just overwhelmed with compassion for this individual that I'm going to change what I do and I'm going to make a decision based upon my compassion. And if there's one thing that's lacking right now, I believe it's compassion. And I, I believe it's also empathy as well. But just making sure that we don't get so dry in our decision making that we suppress the very tools that God has wanted us to use and has has given us in, in, inside to literally make sure that we're also always balancing logic with making sure that there's also a human element that goes into our decision making, which by the way, even when we think we're being logical, I mean, let's be honest, we're usually not. <laughs> and uh, even on our best days. And so it's it's the the way that you answered that, there was so much compassion, um, you know, and, and I, I hope people who are listening to this can hear what you have to say because that's, and, and I appreciate your patience with us um, when we first started having this, this, these conversations, you know, a while back and I'm like, well, you know, Dallas, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm where you're at right now. <laughs> and you're like, man, that's okay, Kevin. <laughs> you know, you weren't like, well, I can't believe that you jerk, you know, you're either for me. I mean, you didn't do that with me. And so the fact that you really practice what you preach, I can certainly and personally attest to that. And, uh, I, I just think it's, it's, it's phenomenal the way that you're able to communicate these ideas and, and do so in such a way because, look, it's hard talking about this subject because one of the main reasons is because people are on different, they're, they're in different beliefs. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're having a conversation here and uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure, you know, I've done a horrible job, but I'm, I'm trying to kind of make sure like I'm, I'm hitting at those who think it's wrong, those who aren't sure, those who, you know, are, think it's okay, you know, and, and, and it's, it's difficult, but it, you know what? Relationship is difficult. And mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we need to get uncomfortable. And I think this is one of those things the church needs to start getting uncomfortable about. Well, we need to be more comfortable with having these conversations. We need to be more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Or yes, 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 that's what yeah. I meant. Thank you, Lee. Thank yeah. you for for saving me there, buddy. Yeah, comfortable with being uncomfortable. Not un. We yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It's it's the truth, though. And Dallas, I thought I agree with everything Kevin said, man. I think you put that so beautifully. You put that so succinctly and you put it so well because you don't see, you, you see a hand outstretched from Christians, from the church. You know, if we're to be the hands and feet of Jesus, then we need to extend that hand to everyone who stands in need of him. And we oftentimes extend that hand to people whose sins are more palatable to us. And if we just go ahead and presuppose that this is a sin, we tend to bring our hand back and withdraw it and clutch our pearls very tightly to our chests whenever we deal with things like this, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's, you know, the trans issue, whatever the case may be, whenever it's sins of a sexual nature, that tends to be how we react to it. And what you said definitely would go a long way to helping reorient ourselves to that conversation so that we can be the people that God has called us to be. Um, in the time that we have left, because we, we really have hit our, our time on this, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? Anything else that you want to say that you feel needs to be said before we wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think um, the biggest thing I definitely want anyone to take away from this is like, just definitely get to know people. I think, you know, people like in my situation who 
are trying to be Christians but happen to be gay are often caught, I say, in the middle because I have people kind of like Kevin described on the Christian side, you know, pointing a lot of fingers and saying, well, yeah, but that's so disgusting. This is wrong. And then I have people on the opposite side, you know, in the LGBT community going, well, how could you want to go to church? Why would you want to do that? You know, and there's so many of us, believe it or not, who are stuck in the middle trying to do their best to pursue Christ, but are also gay. And it's more isolating being in the middle because it's a weird thing. In fact, I even people that I went to college with who are also gay now. I mean, I had a friend who literally said he had to make sure that he had the what was it? A, more of a pure heart than most people because he already had like the red letter upon his being. So, and for instance, like where I knew people who were probably, you know, having premarital sex, if they were straight or whatever, he was so determined that he could not slip up anywhere else in his life because he already was gay and was already going to be viewed a certain way. And he didn't need to add more sins to his list, if that makes any wow. sense. Um. And it's crazy because I think if you get to know people in their heart who are in like situations like, or who are like, just like me, you start to realize that like, it's not what people think it is. You know what I mean? It's not this, well, because you're, you know, you're gay, then you must be doing A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And that's exactly who you are. Like, not at all. Um, You know, I think, and that's why I wanted to make our film that we did. And we wanted it to be silent because I wanted people to come to their own conclusions and just watch the journey of someone who's like me, who is, you know, from a religious background and it's still important to them, but trying to figure out what to do while their church and family are reacting in different ways. You know, that's why I was like, I need to make this film because I haven't seen that represented. Um, but yeah. And the last thing I would say too, is like in the process of getting to know people like that, start to know like trigger words and things of that nature. Like a lot of people, believe it or not, like same sex attracted, that word's actually identified with reparative shock therapy. So when people usually say same sex attraction for a lot of gay people, that means you're okay with people getting shocked in reparative therapy. Um, Holy smokes, man. I did not know that. Yeah. Either. Yeah. And I think Lee's the one who said that. I didn't say that. No. Well, <laughs> Come on. I'm just messing with you, man. But no, and I know that. But, you know, like there's a lot of people like just because of their trauma and their experiences, that's going to be like a trigger word. Right. Or like homosexuality. When people say that word, for instance, that's almost like the N word for black people, for a lot of gay people. So it's like just knowing like the language and. Um, well, I did say know, that. Well, no, listen, and I'm not here to say, like, it's right or wrong. I'm just, when you get to know people and know, like, uh, like their views on certain things, it's interesting because I think it starts to break down different things. But, of course, like, I feel some people, like, on the, in, you know, I hate saying straight community, but, like, in the church community, like, the word gay is, like, you know, that's a cringy word, too. So, it's, like, you know, for people who are, like, me in the middle, it's, like, I use both words. I use all the words. I know, like, And I just understand the connotation with the community that I'm speaking with because it's it's it means different things to both communities. You know what I mean? And I think people who aren't a, a, a aware of that, you know, can get off to the wrong foot immediately and not even realize that they did um, because of how people take it, you know? And I think just getting to know people even helps break that barrier down as well. Well, it, absolutely, because whenever I talk about my buddy – I, I, I rarely do I put qualifiers in front of it. Like, yeah, me and my buddy, we're going to go down to the river. We're going to go fishing or, Hey, I'm hollering at my buddy. He's going to start jujitsu or me and my buddy have started lifting. I don't say me and my black buddy are going to go down here and go fishing or, 
you know, me and my gay friend, we're going to start going over here. He's going to start jujitsu with us or anything like that. Or, you know, me and my legalistic friend, Kevin over here in Shawnee, we're going to go and do this <laughs> or that. You know, we don't put those qualifiers on it because when we get to know people, we know the people. We don't look at them through that lens of, well, this is a gay person. This is a trans person. This is a black person. They're just people then. These Absolutely. are the people that I know. These are the people that I love. And whenever we can begin to look at each other as God's people, whether these yeah. are people who know God and have a desire to know him better and make him known to the world, or whether these are people that God has made in his image as his image bears that he wants to know, but they haven't been drawn unto him yet. If we can start looking at people like that, then the dialogue will definitely begin to change. Absolutely. And I think the last thing I just want to say is just because someone's gay does not mean they hate God or that they're not searching for that. Because actually there was a study done, and I wish I brought that with me to chat with you all, that actually most people who are in the LGBTQ community have, because most of them are raised in the church, believe it or not, still have this desire and feel like they're missing something, but just are afraid to go there because of the trauma. And I think if people start realizing that most people in the LGBTQ community are wanting God, wanting a church community, wanting that kind of fellowship and community. I think that could change a lot of things. Cause I think so many people assume, well, they're God hating people or they're these, you know, they're, they're, they turn their back on God and they're disgusting and they don't want anything to do with it. And that, most of the time, from my experience, that's not accurate at all. Well, I think we definitely have had a good conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Dallas, I appreciate you coming on here and just sharing your heart with us and just having this conversation. And it's it's one of those subjects that can be kind of difficult from the outside looking in, especially yeah. with the history that we have and how this subject has been viewed throughout the throughout the ages of Christendom. It it can be it can be hard to bring up and it can be hard to have this talk, but you made it really easy, man. You made it easy. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man. And thank you for your patience. Yeah, yeah, we, my pleasure. We've enjoyed this. This was this has been awesome, Dallas, and uh, we'll probably have to have you back on to discuss some because this is for people who are listening. We do want to get into theology in the future to go through and look at arguments for and against, and just try to. Uh, bring attention to, to those things, because as we have discovered in our studies um, on so many different issues, it usually is a lot more involved than just quoting one or two Bible verses. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that's 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 something that we're, we hope to get into. But, you know, here we've been talking what now for an hour and a half or something like that. And uh, this has just been a great conversation because the, the way that you answered that get to know people. Man, and that was that's been my biggest mistake in life, um, the the my former life, and that's something that I've really repented of, and I'm trying to do better um, because because you do, man. You you when you get to know people, it it changes things. And Jesus was a person who who loved to get to know people and hear their stories and share their stories and try to understand who they are and where they're coming from and how we can just continue to, to wrestle with and struggle together through these tough things. And, uh, you know, life, life is tough and everybody is going through something. <laughs> Every, everybody is, is dealing with something. And when we only want to help people who are going through some things, but not others, shame on us. Yeah. And, uh, I just really appreciate how grace centered you are, 
um, even, even as I said before, toward, toward me and Lee to be able to come on this podcast and have this just vulnerable, open, honest conversation. And it it's, yeah, it can be difficult sometimes to have these conversations, but man, I, I hope people can hear what you're saying and I hope that they can uh, seek help if they're struggling with suicide, uh, suicidal thoughts, if they're struggling with depression, man, uh, f- find somebody who, who will love you and who will, will listen to you. And I did want to end with this because I know- Can I add this- one thing before you end real quick? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Well, I just want to, since we're talking about resources, I don't want to end this without giving a resource. So whether, you know, if you're listening and you're a person who is struggling with this, or you're a parent and you're struggling with this, or maybe you're even a church leader or, you know, elder, and you're trying to find just even a place to even admit your insecurity about it or your questions, I really, really, really highly encourage people to check out Centerpiece. Um, which was started by Sally Gary, who's actually from the Church of Christ, believe it or not. And she has different seminars and parent retreats and LGBT identifying retreats and even minister retreats where people can go and have a safe space and and talk about they're uncomfortable with this or they have people in their community like this and they don't know what to do and they don't know where to turn. Centerpiece is a wonderful, wonderful place to turn. And, and they don't promote a certain agenda. They're not telling you what you have to believe or what conclusion you need to come to, but they just allow it to happen in a very loving and place that I've never seen before. And I really try to tell everyone if this is a a place that you're, you know, you're at the fork in the road, that's the place I would turn to. And Sally Gary is a wonderful human being who will make you feel like you're one in a million on the earth. So if anyone's struggling with that, please reach out to her. I know she'd be happy to talk with anyone. And that's uh, centerpiece.net, right? That's correct. Yeah. And it's center, C-E-N-T-E-R, and then peace, just like peace be with you. So yeah. All right. We will throw that in the show notes as well. Dallas, thank you once again, brother, for your time this evening. I hope you survive this big winter blast that's taken yeah. the, the world by storm or this part of the world by storm at the moment. Um, hunker down, stay safe, stay warm. To all of our listeners, if you haven't listened to all of our podcasts yet, if you're locked down like Kevin and I probably will be and snowed in, you got plenty of time to get caught up. We thank <laughs> all of you. We thank all of you for listening. Um, Give us that five-star review on iTunes. Share our podcast with your friends. Shoot, share it with your enemies. That way you can show them that you actually love them. So thank you all very, very much. We appreciate all of you and bid you all a good night.